is going to say to us through this passage. So Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. The new wine is fresh for wineskins. Let's pray. Lord, we come humbly before your word, and we ask that you give us faith to believe that every word in this book is inspired, that you have written these words down for our good. And so, Father, we ask that we would have um, eager hearts to hear and to apply this message. Help us to fall more in love with our Savior Jesus and in his gospel. Father, we desire to bring you glory and honor. Amen. The day that everything changed for me was July 10th, 2010. Before that day, I was free to choose my own bedtime. I was free to think about however I wanted to spend money and the movie that I chose to watch on a certain day. Before July 10th, 2010, I was responsible for my own actions and my own time management. I would often, before this day, at 10.30 at night, put on a Star Wars movie and watch it over and over again. I would oftentimes procrastinate with my homework and go to bed really late and pull all-nighters. I would regularly spend my money frivolously because I had extra and because I was the only person responsible for it. But July 10th, 2010 came, and everything changed. After that day, when I went to the movie theaters, it was no longer $10, but $20. After that day, there was someone who decided to have the same bedtime as me. I couldn't just choose the next Star Wars movie. I couldn't just treat my time as if it only belonged to me. I, of course, am talking about the day I got married, right? And not that it's some fatal day in history where, man, before 2010, July 10, my life was the best. Just saying it was different. I remember before getting married, I, to visit home in California, you know, I, lived, I was going to school in Chicago, and so you get a round-trip ticket, you know, get 129 one way, so before then you still had to pay taxes after, so it was like 280 for a round-trip ticket to California and back. It was just fine, but now it was 560 <laughs> The restaurant at Portillo's for Italian beef, large fry, and a Coke was 864 but now it was like $17. I used to go to bed late, but everything 
had changed. Imagine if I had only let marriage affect me in the ways I wanted to affect me. Imagine if, if marriage only meant that um, we kind of go to bed at the same time and you make a few meals that we share together. Imagine if, if I had only let my marriage affect me in, in only the ways that really were kind of convenient for me. No, I still want to watch my Star Wars movies. No, this is my money. I, I bring this point because as I think about this passage, it reminds me of when we become Christians, the same thing is true. That everything changes. Everything about our disposition and our thoughts and our priorities and our attitudes, it's changed. Jesus is not someone who comes in and says, I, I will just take just a few pieces of your life. In a way, it is actually much more than marriage. Because for Jesus, to truly follow him means that everything will change in your life. So this passage that we just read, it's kind of interesting, right? Um, there's a simple question, and then we, we get this, this great picture of what it's like to have a conversation with Jesus. Because he never answers your question directly. What does he do? He answers your question by raising another question. I always think if Jesus was here, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, what would you do last night? What did you do last night, Aaron? <laughs> well, I don't know. I was at home just hanging out with my kids. How was your night, though? Well, what would you do at home, Aaron? Like, like I just feel like he continues to, to give a question and never really answer directly. And so what, what is the question? So look at verse 18. Now, John's disciples and some of the the disciples of the Pharisees, they were fasting. And they came to him and they said, Yo, man, how come John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So that's the question. All of this passage is, is kind of around the simple question of fasting. And if you don't know what fasting is, it's kind of a religious, pious, spiritual discipline in which someone would abstain from food to draw closer to God. That's all fasting is. It's to fast from food. And what I want for us to kind of understand from this passage tonight, so let me leave in a few minutes here, 40 minutes or so. I want us to really understand that being a follower of Jesus means <coughs> that everything changes. Everything about us changes. But before we can really understand that, we have to kind of understand some of the context in which Jesus is talking to these people, okay? So, um, if, if you kind of grew up in church, or if you've read the Bible before, maybe you've been in youth group, when you hear the word Pharisees, you automatically assume those are the bad guys, right? So, if, if the Pharisees were in a modern-day movie, they'd have a British accent, because all the bad guys in movies have British accents, right? Um, they, it's very, like, who's, like, a, a villain in every movie? What's the, what's the kind of a special actor? Huh, who? There's one actor in my mind where every time he's cast in a movie, he's the villain. Um, what's that? Jason Statham. Sure. <laughs> sure. But when we hear Pharisee, we, we automatically assume, boom, bad guy, look out for the bad guy. So they're trying, to, they, they're trying to trap Jesus. And as a matter of fact, 
This whole chapter, chapter 2, we, we saw this story where, where Jesus, he heals the man, where his friends bring him through a roof, and what do they do? They question Jesus' attentions. The passage right after that, Jesus is hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors, and they, they challenge him on the, on the breadth or the width of his ministry that he's hanging out with people. In this right here, he faces some more opposition. How come you don't look like everyone else and fast? And, and even the next passage, Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, Continual opposition from the religious leaders. But let me say something. Not all Pharisees in the Gospels are evil and rotten. There are actually a few in Luke 17. They come up to Jesus and some of the Pharisees came to Jesus and warned him that Herod was trying to kill him. So clearly, there are some of the Pharisees who weren't all bad. But again, to understand this question, we really have to understand... Who are the Pharisees? Now, in, in the typical day of Judaism, you have four main kind of players on the field. You have these people called the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and anyone know the last one? Starts with a Z. Zealots. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Of all of those four people, the Essenes, the Zealots, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the most like Jesus. So if you want to stack up Jesus compared to the rest of those people who had influence in Judaism that day, the Pharisees were the closest to Jesus. The Pharisees did not cut themselves off from a society like the Essenes did. They would kind of like hunker down in caves and be super pious, kind of like a monk. And they would cut themselves from society. No, the Pharisees were there. They had followers. They, they lived in towns and villages. The Pharisees did not compromise with Rome, like the zealots who kind of felt like we need to cooperate with the Romans. No, the Pharisees said, no, we're not going to cooperate with these evil people. The Pharisees did not want to overthrow the government like the zealots. And even one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot, and they kind of were like the insurrectionists, but not the Pharisees. The Pharisees were actually known for teaching the renewal of God's kingdom. They believed in the resurrection of the dead, unlike the Sadducees, which is why they're sad, you see? <laughs> Every time you gather that joke. But the Pharisees, no, they, they believed just like Jesus, and just like the Pharisees, they, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. Just like Jesus, they believed in the sovereignty of God. And so the Pharisees, they were people who were devoted to Scripture. They were pious. They were, they were renewal-minded Jews. One person speculates that there was probably about 6,000 Pharisees at the time of Jesus, which is about 1% of the population. But they had a lot of followers. So they were by far, of all those four people, the most influential. And here's the thing. They were the closest to Jesus than anyone else. But they still had all of these troubles. And what really was the problem that the Pharisees and Jesus had? So all of the Pharisees, they cared about God's word. They cared about the law. They wanted to see the renewal of Israel. They, they believed deeply in piety and worshiping God in the temple. You know, if we were to see a Pharisee, we wouldn't even compare to their righteous lives and how they were strict in obeying every law of God. But their issue 
and that Jesus and the Pharisees always butt heads against was what this thing called the oral tradition. So the Pharisees had kind of built up a tradition from their forefathers, all these small little rules around the law. And Jesus was kind of saying that was not the intent of the law. And so kind of when they butt heads in Scripture is the Pharisees are raising up this oral tradition. And here is part of the oral tradition. To be a good Jew, there was three things you did. You prayed, you fasted, and you gave alms to the poor. Those were the three cornerstones. If you are going to be a good Jew living in ancient Palestine under Roman occupation, you would go to the temple and pray. And so you see Jesus kind of saying, hey, don't be like the hypocrites who go to the temple and pray out loud, right? You would fast. And what the Pharisees did, they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. They'd do it twice a week. And they would give their money to the poor. And Jesus also confronts that too, right? And so to be a good Jew, you would do those three things. And Jesus has to constantly fight them back and give them the actual intent of the law. So with all of that in mind, we can maybe then appreciate the question that is being asked. They're like, hey, John's disciples, so people who are influenced by the John the Baptist or maybe people who still follow him, these people knew the traditional way of what it means to be a good Jew. You fasted. And even the Pharisees and their disciples, they fasted. So how come you don't fast? Imagine a new teacher and a pastor comes on scene and, and, he's, and he's swaying thousands with him and he's growing this huge movement and you finally you go and you ask this pastor or this new teacher what he's doing and you come to find out that he never goes to church and nor do any of his disciples. And you're kind of like, wait, how can you be a really famous pastor and teacher and never go? Isn't like going to church like the, the bedrock, like the, the bedstone of what it means to be a Christian? It's kind of like in our society, we think that, that being a Christian, like the things that are obvious or intuitive. Hey, Miles, good to see you. Yeah. In our society, I guess in our world, right? We're all tracking again. We think going to church, reading our Bibles, praying. Maybe I, I go on a mission trip once or twice when I'm a high schooler. Those are the things that we kind of think are like, that's, that's the normal things that Christians do. And so if you see someone who says they're a Christian, who's, who's having this movement, not do something that was of the ordinary, you'd be like, dude, what gives? Everyone does this. Everyone, everyone knows that to be a good Jew, that you have to fast. Why? Why then does Jesus say, nope, as far as me and my disciples, we're not going to do that. And he does it, he answers by giving another question. And here's his question. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And here's what Jesus says. The difference between the Pharisees' disciples and John the Baptist's disciples and my disciples is that the difference is a wedding. 
the presence of the Messiah, the presence of Jesus called for feasting and not fasting. The fact that, that Jesus had come on scene, that the fulfillment of God's promises were being met is, a, is not a mood of, of gloom and contrition and, and, and somber. It is a celebration. In the Old Testament, there is only really one specific day in which all the Jews were required to fast. And that was on the Day of Atonement. But a few other times, towards like the end of the Bible, end of the Old Testament, excuse me, like Zechariah, there are a few different fasts called. And they're kind of random and, and specific, but some of them went, they would fast on the day to remember the destruction of the temple. And it would kind of be like a somber day where they'd be sad and, and they would fast. Sometimes they would fast over their sin, right? So they would hear about the sin of the people and they would call for a fast. And one other fast in the Old Testament is when they were trying to decipher God's will and his plan so they would fast. And so a lot of times when Jews would fast, it's not some kind of like happy-go-lucky, I'm not eating food today. It is more of a, a contemplative, reflective, contrition type of fast. And Jesus says, listen, no one goes to a wedding and wears black and comes in all somber. But rather, you come to a, a wedding to feast and to celebrate. And what, what Jesus is kind of saying here is like, the Lord, through my own life, is bringing peace and he's bringing joy. And when the angels come, we bring you good news of glad tidings, right? When Jesus comes to earth, it is joyful and we celebrate. And so Jesus' answer is very clear and simple. My disciples don't fast because they are at a wedding. God, through the person of Jesus, has come for his people. You know, imagine we had a Christmas party here. And I think one year, I remember, like, we had, like, two full tables. We told everyone to bring their favorite snack. The table was just full of the best savory and sweet dishes. I mean, there was something for everyone. We had like 10 different types of, of soda. And just imagine walking in to a, to a Christmas party, and you're like, oh, man, I can't eat it. I'm fasting today. You're just like, what? I bet you didn't bring any presents either, you Grinch. <laughs> it's, just, it's not a time for fasting at a, at a party or at a celebration. You know, as I look around this room, I've been to three people's weddings in this room alone. I've been to my little brother's wedding. I've been to David and Avery and Justin Christie's wedding. I mean, just imagine, like, the awkwardness of people went to a wedding and they were fasting. I'm sure all of their dads would appreciate the fasting because it would be very economical, right? It saves some money. <laughs> It's kind, of, it's kind of an interesting thing where Jesus is saying, listen, no one fasts when it's time to celebrate. It's a time for feasting. And this is, this is the interesting part. Jesus gives two short parables to kind of lean in and dig into what he's really saying here. He's saying, now that I have come, everything is different. 
I know that you think that this is the way that normal religious people operate. They, they fast, they pray. But listen, when I'm here, everything changes. Nothing's the same. Nothing that you know of religion is going to be the same. And so he gives two parables. The first one is in verse 21, and he says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Now, I'm, I'm pretty bad at this. For some reason, my clothes, they, they always kind of shrink or they get awkward. You know, sometimes you get T-shirts and this part right here gets kind of like loose and, and you kind of hate that. Or, or maybe you get a pair of jeans and you gain weight and they're harder to put on. No one? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, sometimes like, I think we're lucky. Our, our clothes typically fit us pretty well. But imagine, you know, you're a kid, and you're running around, and I see Tessa's pants over there. She's got a lot of holes, and an Emma, too. And you guys probably bought your pants those way, weirdly enough, with holes in them. But what happens is clothes, over time, they begin to shrink. And so if you get a hole in something, and and you put on a, a piece of cloth over it, what will happen to that new piece of cloth is that it will begin to shrink. And when it shrinks, it'll pull itself off, of the whole, and by effect, making the whole worse than what it was. And so Jesus is saying here, hey, if we do things the old way, if we just kind of slap on Jesus, like he's just some sort of add-on, we are going to make it worse. And so the second parable, is he talks about, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Wineskins were this kind of container to hold jugs, and what would happen is when you use them over time, they'd kind of get crusty, and they'd kind of get brittle, and they can break, right? So you put old wine, but if you put new wine in it, it's kind of like bread. You put yeast, it begins to ferment, and so it expands. And so if you do that into old wineskins, put new wine as it's fermenting, it's going to break it. It's going to explode. It's going to ruin it. It's going to make it worse. But you put new wine in fresh wineskin so that it expands with it. And here is what Jesus is trying to say to them. I cannot be just another add-on to the religion of the day. For Jesus, it is not business as usual. The way we operate a lot of times is we like to slap Jesus on to a few of our problems, to a few of our issues. We like to have a patchy Jesus where we have maybe a hole of loneliness, so I'll just add on a little Jesus. And maybe I I kind of struggle with some purity issues, so I'll just add this part of Jesus to my life. Or maybe I I, I need to be a better friend, so I'm going to have Jesus kind of just put on this little part of my life. But imagine Jesus is on a river. And on this river, there's the boat of every religion. And they all say, hey, this is what it kind of looks like. And so imagine you got this boat, and on it you have like Moses and the prophets, and you have John the Baptist, and then this is what it looks like to be religion. And Jesus says like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's what religion looks like, but do you see the small little stream that's over here? That, that's what it looks like 
to do it my way. That, that, that part over there is, is really broad, but me over here, it's, it's really narrow. And everyone does religion this way. But now with me, it's different. Everything changes because if you just add me to another person or another kind of religious you know, fad of the day, it's just going to be worse. Jesus is trying to tell them, like, listen, now that I'm here, everything changes. How many of us look to Jesus to be just an add-on to our lives? You know, my kids, they have this little toy, potato head. And kind of just depending on what you feel like potato head should look, you kind of get subjective and you say, well, I don't like the purple lips, I want the regular lips, but I want the crazy eyes with the eyelashes, and you kind of just patch together the potato head that you like. And so we kind of think like, hey, you know, to, to be a Christian, you know, I got to read my Bible, got to pray. And I can make it to church and youth group, you know, that, that's pretty important. <clears throat> and I kind of going to just go with the religion of the day. I'm just going to kind of do the normal thing. And I think I see so many people say, hey, you know, I tried Jesus, and I've kind of I've given him my best go. Like, I'm not going to lie, it just... So encouraged to hear Catherine's story tonight. Like any time, any time, someone makes that fresh commitment to follow the Lord, I just, in my heart, yes and amen. Because in a way, I think a lot of us sometimes, we say, yeah, I'm going to give Jesus a try. I'm going to kind of like, maybe he can kind of help me with some issues in my life. Maybe my parents are struggling and it's kind of hard, so I'm just going to patch on Jesus here. And maybe I want to have a good future, so Jesus is going to help me. Or maybe I don't want to go to hell, so I'm just going to patch on Jesus here. And this is what Jesus is saying. You can't just add me on to the small little pieces of life. I have to become everything. And so many people, they walk away, you know, I tried that Jesus thing. Those religious people, they just tried to tell me to suppress whatever and and all that stuff. And all Jesus really was to them was a small little add-on. Let me tell you, if you just try to patch on Jesus here and there, and maybe, maybe you kind of like what Jesus says about this, but over here you don't really kind of ignore and don't really want to hear that part. Maybe you kind of think like, hey, I can really get into this, like, when I'm in my youth group, I'm tracking, I believe it, but, you know, the rest of the week I kind of like. If you just patch on Jesus to little things, just the things that are easy, just the things that you want to hear, let me tell you, that Jesus patch is going to tear off, and it's going to make a worse hole in your heart. Jesus tells all of you right now, I am not a patch for your life. Rather, Jesus says, put off the old man and put on the new person. I am not a tiny square to help you. I am everything. Don't just add Jesus, but make everything in your life about Jesus. Can I say that again? 
Don't just add Jesus, but make Jesus everything about you. Jesus, you tell me what to do. Jesus, you tell me what is right and wrong. Jesus, I will lay it all down for you. Jesus, I'm going to start all over. I'm not going to have any past. Jesus, you are going to be my life. Jesus, you are going to be my priority. Jesus, I I don't want a little add-on. I want all of you, Jesus. That's what he wants from you. And how many for us who have followed Jesus for a long time, we begin to become calcified in our traditions like the Pharisees. Like, this is the standard way of what it means to be a good Christian. How many of us in our life have felt guilty because we haven't read the Bible enough? Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, I guess, like, I'm I'm blown away. Don't get me wrong. I I love God's Word. I want to read it. I want to know it. I want it to be my heart's desire. But, man, most of the Christians in history have been illiterate. Like they could not read, nor did they have own copies of, their, of the Bible with them. Would we say that they were bad Christians? Were they not pious enough because they didn't read their Bible every day? And we begin to think that, hey, this is the way it looks to be a good Christian. Jesus is like, no. He's trying to put old wines into new wineskins. So we should always look at God's word and we should make sure that we are doing what is right and appropriate according to God's word in our own society, in our own times, in our own culture. You know, there's so many times I I think, ah, I guess I'm a little bit more emotional, a little more sentimental. I guess maybe my heart is bigger than most people. I'm kidding, right? But sometimes I say, God, I'm going to live for you. God, I'm going to give you all the glory. God, I want you to send revival down on this group. God, I want my home to be a place in which Jesus is honored. God, I want to speak grace to everyone. I, I want to be someone, God, who's like, you can use me. God, you're, oh, I, God I'm going to be your guy. And I, I just start, I go for it. I'm like praying to God. I'm like walking around. And I'm like, Lord, you can count on me. Bring it down. Don't hold it back. Spirit, come. And I do nothing differently. How many of you have you've made some resolve in your life? You're like, I'm going to live for the Lord. Monday comes. Old wine. It's new wineskins. Just a little add-on. Nothing sometimes ever changes in our commitment and our desire to follow Jesus. I, that's like the question I desire to answer in my lifetime, is how can people go to church for so long but never change? How is it that Christians, 20 years later, are entrenched in the same sin? Man, I preached way too long on that one point. (laughs) The style, the place, the size of our ministry and our life. We need to be always reflective of what God is asking us to do. And maybe you guys listen. Can I ask you a question? Can I just be serious for a second? Maybe you have seen a plateau in your, your walk with God. Maybe like you hear me talk, you're like, man, I never get that passionate. 
Maybe you hear other Christians and they're, they're growing and you're kind of like, man, I'm just so-and-so. Maybe because you're just stuck in doing the same things the same way and you never change. You just get caught in the motions. You know, you're on the big ship and like just the way that every religion operates, they, they kind of do this thing and Jesus is over here saying, no. With me, everything changes. Not just a few things. Everything changes. So maybe for you to take a fresh step in your walk with the Lord is to find the things where, yeah, you know what, I, I just kind of add on Jesus to a few things. I, don't, I haven't made him my everything. The question I have in my mind here is, does that mean I don't have to fast Jesus? Right? Doesn't that question still linger? Because like, Jesus is like, no, listen, my disciples ain't going to fast. They're celebrating. But what does the text say? Let's look down. (laughs) Verse 20. The days will come. Or better translation, that day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then, and then they will fast. The question is, what is that day? Is it the day where Jesus is crucified and he dies and therefore the disciples then pray out of crisis and mourning? Is it every disciple now from, from then on? And I think the question can be answered in the way in which fasting was appropriate back then. They would fast because they desire for the coming of the Lord. All of the, the five, 400 years of silence between the last prophet speaking and Jesus, they would fast and they would wait. You know that season of Advent we call during Christmas? It means expectation. It means longing. And they would fast and they would desire for God to come back and to bring his kingdom and to restore the world. But Jesus is with them. But as we all know, after Jesus' resurrection, he ascends back up to heaven. And so we can look at this, this book called the Didache, which is just the documents of what the early church did. And we find that they said, the Pharisees fast on Monday and Thursday, and we shall fast on Tuesday and Friday. That even just a couple of years after Jesus' departure, his disciples, Christians, were fasting all throughout the ages. You can look at every church father. You can look at men now, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, John Piper, and everyone fasts. Matter of fact, to not fast would not be the norm, but the exception. God's people have always fasted because we fast because we desire to see the kingdom of God fully revealed. We desire to to have God be bigger than our desires. Now, here's the thing. I'm not the best at fasting. I've, I've done it, and I do it, but I'm, I, maybe the longest I've ever fasted was about three days, and I thought I was going to die. Because here's what I learn every time I fast, that I love food. <laughs> I really like food. But fasting is something that should teach us to desire God more than our friends. You know, I, I, I find out that when I fast that I use food to get me through the day. Like, oh, 11 o'clock's coming. Man, I can eat some food pretty quick here. 
afternoon, you know, I work at the church, and there's always, like, I can go sneak into the children's, you know, classrooms and steal fruit snacks or goldfish. <laughs> right? So true. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, texting my wife at 3.30, stressing her out, like, so what do you make for dinner? You know, I'm just thinking about that next meal, and she's always like, you just overwhelmed me. Yeah. But here's the thing, guys. John Calvin once said that we can fast three different ways. We can fast in order to redeem the time. We can fast for a, a length of time, or we can fast the quality of our food. And so three things. One, so sometimes we can fast, and during that time where we typically eat our lunch, we would take that time, and we would draw close to God. We, we would pray. We would lean into him. Sometimes we fast for a long period of time, maybe a couple of meals, a day or two. And what we would do during that is we would seek the Lord. And, and, and when we get cravings for, for hunger, and we would say, God, may this desire I have for food be the same desire I have for your spirit. And sometimes people will fast for long periods of time, but they will just maybe eat simple bread and fruit juices and all this different stuff. But with all of it, with fasting, it is something that can teach us to desire God more than our cravings. There are so many things that we can fast about. Anything where we would desire to see God's kingdom more fully revealed. It could be a sin in your life, a habitual sin. And you say, God, would your kingdom come down in my life? Maybe it would be for an unbelieving friend. We pray that the this gospel would penetrate their hearts. Maybe there's an injustice that we are just torn about. We say, God, would your kingdom come into this issue? And when it may bring clarity and healing. Maybe pray for the Adharmi people, in which there's 785,000 of them in India, and 0.0% of them are Christians. And can we say, God, bring your kingdom down to them, and we would fast for that because we desire for God's glory. So until Jesus comes, we, like everyone else, we fast. Maybe just a small practical point to this. Maybe you've never fasted before. And what if in the next 30 days you picked one day and you said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick an issue. I'm going to pick something where I just want God to work more. In. And from sunrise to sunset, I'm going to abstain from food. And see what the Lord does. I'm in conclusion. Conclusion. I said a lot of things tonight. Let me say something. Jesus is not a pool of normal religion or traditionalism. You can't just go through the motions. You can't just put old wine into new wineskins and expect some great vision. Yeah, the worship team gets to come up. But the thing that makes Jesus stand above every religion and every normal way in which we operate in, in the kind of the, the motions of the Christian life is that he has given us his spirit. He has given us his spirit to know that we shouldn't just have an add-on Jesus, but we should make him as everything. Why don't you guys bow your heads? Let's take a minute to think about this and to kind of just sit in the implications of this. Why don't you... Some of us here, I think, we're really guilty of not making Jesus everything. We think kind of just normal procedures, business as usual. 
But what would, what would it look like for you to, to see Jesus more than an add-on? But in your life, in your Monday through Sunday, what would it look like for Jesus to be your everything? Let's take a minute, and I just encourage you to pray to God, ask him to reveal the sins in our life. And in a moment or two, we'll pray and sing.